I'm delighted to be here today um, to talk um, with this wonderful panel about the Glasgow girls. Um, the Glasgow girls um, themselves, the Glasgow girls, the documentary, the Glasgow girls, the stage show which first appeared at the Citizens um, three years ago, and the Glasgow girls which eventually um, became a television film and I'm delighted um, to welcome um, our panel. Um, on the far left is Amal Azuddin who is one of the original Glasgow girls and now right, works for the Scottish uh, Mental Health Foundation. Next to Amal is Cora Bissett um, who is the creator of Glasgow Girls the musical and a wonderful writer, director, um, performer um, and an absolute linchpin of Scottish theatre life. On my right is Brian Welsh, who is the director of Glasgow Girls, the TV um, drama. And on my far right, Lindsay Hill, who was director of the original Glasgow Girls documentary. And I think, um, let's welcome them, because um, it's, it's fantastic to have such a great And Andrew, am I right in thinking that before we start, we've got some images? Uh, yes, they're up behind. They're up already, right, good. A slideshow which will uh, continue. From <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so we don't need to stop talking. We, we watch the slideshow as, as, as we... That's great. Thank you very much. Right, so um, for the first part of, the, um, of, of, of this, um, I'm going to go through the story of the Glasgow Girls chronologically, starting with Amal and her experience, and then with the documentary, then the stage show, then the television film, and have you know everyone on the panel explain their connection to the story and what drew them to it and what they tried to make of it. Um, and then when that's, when that's done, I'll open up to the audience and I hope we'll be able to have a good discussion um, about, about, um, about the Glasgow Girls' story and what it means um, to everyone else in this room as well as to the people on the panel. Um, so I'm going to start with Amal. Amal, can you um, just... Um, talk a little bit about um, how you became a Glasgow girl um, and also how, how that connects with the work that you're doing now with, with, with the Scottish Mental Health Foundation. That would be great. Thank you. Sure. Um, hello, everyone. It's nice to be here. Um, well, basically, um, the Glasgow girl started when one of my friends, Agnesa, um, she's a Kosovan, um, she's a Roma gypsy, and Roma gypsies um, would be persecuted in Kosovo. Um, so Agnes had been living in Glasgow for five years, um, you know, in, 2000, in 2005, and uh, on a Sunday morning, 14 home, home office officials wearing bulletproof vests uh, went to Agnes's house, handcuffed her father, and took them into kind of detention-like vans, um, and then drove to England and locked them up in Yarlswood Detention Centre for three weeks. Um, and that was the first time we had heard about such a such an incident. And I remember thinking um, when I, you know, when I was I was 15 at that time, and I remember thinking I can't believe this is happening to Agnesa. Um, obviously, she was my, one of my best friends, and for a child to be treated like that, I was absolutely horrified. I, I was safe in terms of I knew that wouldn't happen to me because I had received my leave to remain. Um, so that was fine, but I felt like I almost had a responsibility to stand up and speak up. And I always say, believe it or not, I was shy before all of that. <laughs> I know I struggled to believe that too. Um, but when that happened, I think that's where my political awareness awakened, and that's when my humanity awakened, and I felt I have to do something. I don't know what I can do. I don't know if I can make a difference, but I have to do something. 
Um, so I went to school on the Monday, and I went to our teacher, Mr. Garvin, um, who's a legend, my hero. Um, and I said to him, look, Mr. Garvin, I'm not going back to any of my classes because I don't understand why Agnesa's been treated like that. She's done nothing wrong. Her family have done nothing wrong. They've been living in Glasgow for five years, um, you know, really integrated. She wanted to go to college after school. Why is she being treated like a criminal? She's done nothing wrong. So Mr. Garvin said, well, what can we do? You know, and he went to speak to our head teacher. And before we knew it, the other girls um, joined in as well. So that's how we became known as uh, the Glasgow Girls, because next thing I was on the BBC News newspapers. But I should also mention that's where Lindsay comes in, because um, before Agnesa was taken away, Lindsay had approached the school and wanted to make documentaries about you know, how asylum-seeking girls were integrating um, in, kind of, in, in the society. So instead of it being about me and Rosa and how we were integrating, it became completely about the campaign and trying to get Agnesa out. Um, and that, you know, I'll let Lindsay tell you more about it later. Um, so it was amazing because there were scenes that Lindsay captured that you couldn't even make up. You know, it was things like uh, we had a candlelight vigil outside one of the flats. It was, I think, five in the morning, and a dawn raid was actually taking place, and Lindsay captured all of that. You know, she captured the police and the home office officials, and it was, it was amazing, but it was horrible as well to, to experience such a thing, and we were really, really emotional, and I remember going to one of the police officers saying, you know, if these were your kids, would you treat them like this? And he said, no, of course not. So then I was saying, why are you treating the asylum-seeking kids like that? Are they not human? Are they not children like all other children? Um, so it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey um, from then uh, to now. And it's, it, actually, this month is our 10th anniversary, um, which is fantastic. And just looking back at everything that we managed to achieve, it, it's amazing. Um, and then that's when I, well, I went to uni and I did community development. And then a couple of months after I graduated, uh, I got an amazing job at the Mental Health Foundation. Um, I've been at the foundation for three and a half years now. And my role is um, to raise awareness about mental health and well-being to asylum-seeking and refugee women. And it's been an amazing project. Um, and it's made such a huge difference. And I think because uh, you know, I have that kind of experience of the asylum process, um, it's had a huge impact because I was able to understand what the women were going through, but at the same time to raise awareness about you know, the kind of mental health aspect of seeking asylum and how that can have an, a huge uh, negative impact. Because I always say that actually the whole asylum process is designed to cause mental health problems, even if people didn't have a problem to begin with. Um, so that's, that's me. <laughs> Thank you very much, Amal. That's a great introduction. <laughs> That's, and I think I first, um, I'm a theatre critic of The Scotsman, so obviously my, my, my closest connection with, with the Glasgow Girls story has been through the, the stage show. But I think the first time I ever heard of it was when I saw Lindsay's um, documentary. So that must have been just round about the same time then, 10 years ago, Lindsay, that it you, was. you started working on that. Yes. Tell us about how you, you, you got involved with the story. Well, in, in the early 2000s, I was working in the BBC Scotland Children's Department um, and I was involved in, in making a series called Tales from the Edge, which was, um, it was a series of, I think we had 21 um, programmes in all. Um, one of my colleagues was actually Douglas T. Stewart. I'm not sure if he's here at the moment, but you'll be meeting him later on. Um, he's talking in another capacity. But we were, um, the point of these documentaries, they were half-hour documentaries, and they were to be very much authored pieces 
by and about, but most importantly by, the uh, children and young people living lives that were out of the norm. Um, we, we used the term in those days, marginalised. That, that seems like a bit of an old-fashioned term even now, ten years on. But they, these stories feature children, um, many who had mental health problems for a variety of reasons, um, either through severe disability and being isolated at school. Uh, perhaps they're, they're, we had a um, couple of children whose mum had been missing for a long, long time. Um, later on, after the film was shown, unfortunately, it was found that she had actually been murdered. So these children were uh, various children um, with serious problems in life, but living a life, <coughs> trying to be normal children, trying to be normal teenagers, and, and suffering very much from loneliness and depression and anxiety in a whole number of forms. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm digressing. To cut, to cut back to the Glasgow girls, um, I'd been involved with the Drumchapel High School already because I'd made a little film about for this series about uh, two Afghani boys who uh, had, were also traumatised having witnessed some terrible scenes in Afghanistan. But the school had been very helpful to me in giving me access, unprecedented access really, uh, carte blanche almost, to go into the school um, at, at pre-arranged times obviously and film whatever was the latest scenario in these children's lives. When the series was um, happily recommissioned, I thought, well, let's go and make a film. It would be lovely to make a film about the female asylum seeker child's experience of living in Glasgow and being uh, integrating. And that's how I came to meet Amal and Rosa. This was long before, uh, well, not long before, a couple of months before um, a renewed uh, regime of dawn raids and um, a, a home office activity in terms of Glasgow asylum seekers. But I went along and I met Amal, who I must say was a shadow of the self that you see now. She was, uh, she was quiet, she was teenage, she was, well, she appeared petulant, to be honest. I don't think she mind me saying so. Petulant, not interested. But she had, along with Rosa, Sally, one of her, one of her friends, they'd put their hands up to, be, to volunteer, to be involved in a, in a documentary, and uh, she, she volunteered. So we, we decided that we would have a couple of um, goes at doing some filming, and I just wanted to hear their experiences, really, to start with. And I think, if I recall rightly, the first day I went along to film, as prearranged, it was like this horrible cloud of doom and gloom had settled on the school. And Mr Gervin, the teacher, who is, who is certainly a legend, um, he was depressed and sh looking shell-shocked. And he said, well, you can come in. He says, I don't know what you're going to film because the place is like a ghost town. And it was. And everybody was sitting just looking, frankly, shell-shocked. And this was the day I had gone along, coincidentally, on the day that Agnesa and her two little brothers had been um, taken away in, in a dawn raid. And the school not even informed that this was going to happen, that this was going to happen, that it had happened. Um, Agnes's two little brothers were both receiving, well, one little brother certainly was receiving psychiatric treatment for the trauma he'd experienced uh, in Kosovo. And in general, the whole thing, well, I just thought this is not only tragic, but the whole, the whole idea of making a film here, the game's a bogey, I can't possibly make a film now, this is just terrible. And I was a bit shell-shocked myself, what will I do? And before too long, Amal and Rosa said, well, Lindsay, we'll just have to make the film about this, we'll just have to make the film about this, and so... That's what happened. That was the birth of 
what has become a 10-year story, which happily and luckily other different um, artists and creative people have taken up the mantle and brought it to whole new audiences through different creative media, which is just wonderful. And uh, like Lindsay, just before we move mm. on to Korak, I mean, what has been the meaning of that for you? Was it? I mean, Amal talked about having a political awakening, mm -hmm. but also an understanding, uh, a new understanding of, of how vulnerable people's mm -hmm. mental health can be to that kind of mm -hmm. pressure, even if they've never had any um, problems before. I mean, what what has been the main impact of it on you as a as a person? For me, as and, a, and as a as a you know as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, I've, it was it was life changing for me. Definitely, it was it was life changing um, on so many different levels. Um, for for one thing, I became very much a part of that community. At least for that for that little while, I, I did. And uh, I think it was. Um, I find myself in a strange position making that film because many quite often I felt uncomfortable and guilty. I was there filming people at their rawest. But it wasn't just the children themselves, it wasn't just the Glasgow girls, it was their families. Mm. It was the, the younger children, the smaller children, just bewildered and wondering why everyone was looking so depressed. It was the dads who had um, previously, not mums and dads, but in particular the dads who perhaps previously in their former countries had been somebody, had had a job to go to, had had... Um, Rosa's dad talked quite movingly about her dad used to, in, in the high-rise flats, was totally depressed. But every morning he'd get up and he'd put on his suit and tie mm. because that made him feel like he'd been... that he was still somebody with a job because, well, you know, as, as you may know uh, or may not know, asylum seekers aren't allowed to work uh, while they're waiting for their case. So even though he was getting up and to do nothing all day but worry, he was putting on his suit and tie... And that made me, of course, you think of your own dad and you think of your, you know, pride and dignity in having a job. And on so many levels, um, there was one night I actually stayed at, um, at Rosa's house, um, which was another dilemma because I thought, hmm, I don't know about BBC Child Protection Guidelines, I don't know if I should be doing this. But Irma, <laughs> Rosa's mum and dad insisted that I stay because they were worried about me going home late at night. And, of course just witnessing the family's bedtime routine. There was a suitcase packed and ready, just in case. Mm. Um, everyone kind of just went to bed just hoping that there, would be, there wouldn't be a, a chap at the door in the middle of the night. And I thought, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether to film this or not. It just feels totally uncomfortable. Because you're seeing people really at, at their most vulnerable, at their most terrified and worried. Mm. And to see children living through that mm. was really... It made me feel slightly awkward. Sometimes I would take um, the, the, the parents... The parents wanted me to film this. Mr Gervin, the teacher, wanted me to film this. Mm. The, I was, the kids were so used to me being around, they didn't really mind whether I filmed anything or not. They filmed a lot of it themselves. And I think it's because of that, being so much a part of it and their experience was probably why we got such footage in the end which mm. really captured the essence of what they were living through yeah, at the time. Yeah. But lots and lots of decisions about, about you know, how much to intrude. And how how much, much to intrude yeah. and, and, and yeah. feeling a moral responsibility towards these children yes. because at the end of the day um, much as I did want to make this film, um, as far as I was concerned, <coughs> if, if that was neither here or there. What was most important to me was the outcome for these families. Yeah, great. Thank you very much, Lindsay. You ready for the
So, Paula, tell the story of your um, your involvement with the Glasgow Girls. When did you first hear of the story? Um, Way back when it was happening, actually, 2005, um, I think I'd been on some of the demos that were supporting asylum seekers and, and anti-dawn raids at the time. Um, so I was, I, I was kind of, yeah, I had, I had a, a real awareness of it at that time. But I think it was sort of brought back to my attention um, through the Scottish Refugee Council, really, um, after I'd, I'd made Roadkill, the play about uh, sex trafficking, which had raised a huge awareness of that happening in Scotland. And um, the Scottish Refugee Council had been very incredibly helpful in, in giving me access to a lot of yeah. factual case studies and, and things like that. And it was after after we saw the, the sort of practical um, impact that that was having on people. Like you, they were inundated with emails from people saying, what can we do to help? How can we support traffic girls here? How do we, how do we work against this? They, they really saw the power of, of, the, of, of theatre to, to get a message to people. So we had a big kind of um, discussion about what story I should take on next and try and do another job on, you know, and uh, I'd already had it in my head, the Glasgow Girls was kind of hanging around in the back of my brain and I said, I said I'd really like to, to, to look into that story more, do you have any resources I can use and they, they, uh, they got me in touch with Lindsay and I, I watched the documentary and it really was Lindsay's documentary which, which you know, I was aware of, of the events but, but her story um, introduced you to the real people, the, the, the personalities, the characters that were involved and so I, I just knew at that moment I, I definitely want to turn this into a piece of theatre. Um, my first first touchstone to go to was to meet the real people. You know, if you're making a story about real people's lives, uh, you, you have to go right back to the source, and, and that was really, really key for me. So we met with Amal, was, was one of the first, and, uh, and all the other girls uh, sequentially after that. Um, the idea of turning it into a musical was, was something that evolved. I, I watched the documentary many times, and I, and I thought, how am I going to tackle this? How do I... What am I trying to do? Whenever I get a, all, all the work that I've made uh, as a director has been based either on real life stories or has been made from scratch. You know, it's, it's never a, a pre-existing play. Um, and, I, and so I always kind of interrogate myself and say, what am I trying to do and who am I trying to reach? And I think my experience of Roadkill, albeit it had a great kind of ripple effect impact, as you know, it played to 20 people a night because it was, it was set in a, in a little, um, you know, very, very tight environment. And I thought, I, I don't want to preach the converted with Glasgow Girls. This, this story has such potential to, to reach a wider audience because of the energy of the girls, because of their kind of, um, you know, it's not a cerebral academic piece about uh, immigration law. It, it, had a, it had a, you know, it was about community. It was about Glasgow. It had this, this great, wonderful heartwarming story it was it was inspiring so I thought I've got to find the form that, that gets that to a wider audience um, and, it, and it, it kept shrieking musical at me <laughs> which was very uncomfortable because I, I thought I was someone that hated musicals I, I you know I kind of thought oh god no that's an awful idea um, and uh, I, uh, I took myself off to London and I went and, and did, a, did a kind of I, I went and saw about 30 musicals in, in a week and I just thought, okay, if, if this, this story is telling me it wants to be a musical, why is that? And I guess what I saw was that there, there's a reason why, you know, musicals sell out West Ends yeah. for years on end. It's something about the power of song just reaching a very, very instant gut place. Um, and I felt that's what the girls' story was doing. They, mm. they, they were 15-year-old girls. They weren't going into the minutiae of, of, of immigration law. They were just looking at a situation and saying... 
this is wrong. You can't dump an entire community of people, ask them to integrate in, into a city. They do that phenomenally well, and then you rip them out five years later. They've become a part of that world. That is their life more than it's a part of any other country. And I, I, I kind of just wanted that instant, that, that instant connection. Yeah. I also kind of wanted to trick the general public because I didn't want to film, fill the theatre with lots of like-minded people like myself who are all going, yes, 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 absolutely. We're, we're very in tune and empathetic to, to the asylum seekers. That's great, but those people already agree with me and, and already know. So we deliberately kind of did a little bit of a trick <laughs> and, and, you know, sold it as Glasgow Girls the Musical yeah. and, and didn't give away too much. And I think what, what we managed to do was reach a, a very, very broad audience. You know, you saw just very ordinary we Glasgow men and women coming out in the foyer and going, that was smashing. I, you know, and that's exactly what I wanted. I, it's exactly what I wanted. Yeah, um, it, was kind of, it was definitely popular theatre. Yeah. And it had, I mean, what I really noticed about the audience is, because uh, um, I think I saw it, did I see it twice anyway? I, I noticed about the audience when I saw it was that there were so many young people. Yeah, absolutely. There. It absolutely. just really seemed to reach a whole generation who yeah. wouldn't normally, certainly not from choice, go to the theatre. They absolutely. Be taken, but they, yeah. they wouldn't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that was a, a, a yeah. very clear decision yeah. that we made. And yeah. it was fictionalised for it. It wasn't, uh, I mean, we didn't see Amal on the stage until the very end when the, on, the, yeah. on the opening night, the, the Glasgow girls did come up in a great moment and, and take a bow along with the act. But the the characters were played by actors. Mm. They were they were so it was it was at that one step removed from the real people. Yeah. But did you? Um. Uh, I mean, what was the process like? Because you were working with David Gregg, who yeah. also worked with the script. Um, yeah. Um. Um. What was the process like of trying to decide how much? As it, I mean, you've described very clearly the aims <coughs> that you had in doing it. Yeah. But given that you're talking about quite vulnerable. People, yeah. stories about people who have at various yeah. times been very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, 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 you know, what was it like trying to do a process whereby you would you would use that story for a, yeah. a good kind of social and political purpose, but the people wouldn't feel mm. used? Absolutely, um, that that was a, a very real concern right from the yeah. start, and. Uh, so, it, you know, it started with meeting the people and we met each each of them individually and David and I just took each girl for dinner and just got to know them and just got to know their particular journey through the piece and learnt about their families and learnt about their, their country of origin and, you know, really tried to build up a very rich picture. We involved them in absolutely every development we did. Um, so the very first development actually took place in Stratford East. They were the first producer that came on board and then the National Theatre Scotland got... got its mighty machine behind it and, and, and really supported it. But we did the first one in London and we brought all the girls down. So we'd spent a week working on this development. Um, I had Lindsay was fantastic in giving me huge access to all her unedited footage, right. which I shared with, with, the, with the cast. I asked every yeah. one of the actors to do extensive research into the yeah. country of origin that their character had come from. I wanted them to know what had been happening in Somalia. I wanted them to know what had been happening in Kurdistan. So they all came in with these great big scrapbooks full of, you know, I really wanted them to understand what these girls had been through. Um, we, we worked for a week. Uh, we were working on about five different songs at the times, and we were just devising scenes. We... Um, just kind of trying to create the meat of, of the scenes which were based on anecdotes and stories the girls had told us. And so the girls came in at the end of the week and, and I've got these uh, six actresses who also look quite like, the, you know, the, the, the girls. And uh, they came in, their train had been delayed and we were all wondering if they were going to make it there. And, and they walked in and uh, our actresses were just in the middle of this great five-part harmony of We Are the Glasgow Girls, which became the, the anthemic song of the piece. And uh, it, was a, it was an extraordinary moment. Um, 
the, girl, the real girls came in, the real girls as they became known, and the, the actresses were still singing, so they didn't want to interrupt. But the real girls were kind of standing against the wall looking a bit shell-shocked as, as they saw these girls being them, singing about their experience. And, and then the, the actresses stopped, and there was just a moment where there was a silence, and then all the actresses ran to their respective girl and just hugged them for what, about ten minutes, I guess because they'd been living yeah. as that person for a week. And... Um, it, it was really, really emotional. I'm a bit emotional thinking about it. I know, and I um, heard about it later, and I thought, I wish I'd filmed that. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, and so we, we, that, that initial connection was very, very powerful. We then involved them in each stage, and once they started to become a little bit more familiar with the process of making theatre, they, they become much more outspoken. We had, we had Rosa, for instance, uh, who's, who's not a, a wilting wallflower, uh, came up to David Gregg at one point after she'd seen a particular scene that we'd kind of created based on a story about her family and she said um, David I'm not so sure about this uh, this scene with my father I, I don't think it rings very true but have you written much before? <laughs> <laughs> and David Gregg <laughs> <Did you think? laughs> he was very graceful yeah. oh, a few plays here and there <laughs> but, but it was a difficult process you know once you open yourself to that you can't then shut the gate when it starts to get a little bit tricky. Yeah. And, you know, I think the girls were incredibly gracious and, and understood that we were fictionalised in some moments. Mm-hmm. And, but, of course, each one of their stories is very personal to them. And there was a, there was a moment where Jennifer, uh, one of the, the Scottish, Indigenous Scottish girls, um, we, we fictionalised, a, or based on truth, a, um, a song about her dad who wasn't massively understanding of why she was so passionate about this cause. Mm-hmm. He, and and he, he had a, a very commonly held valid point where he said but we have so many problems in our community already why why should we be fighting for these asylum seekers and I wanted to dramatize that because I felt that was a a point that your average person absolutely relates to and so we created a song that was an argument between the both of them and I ran the song past her months in advance and I said let your dad hear it let me know that he's okay with the lyrics and 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 you know it seemed to be then she heard it on the first uh no it was the last restaurant before we opened and she was really upset and she just said, I can't, I can't, I can't portray my dad like that. He looks like a bigot, he, he sounds... And I'm sitting there going, I've not got any more rehearsal time with all the musicians, the band, the MD. I can't rewrite that in a night. That's, like, that affects a thousand lighting cues. I can't move that around. That moment leads to that moment. And I just thought, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went home and stayed up till about four and rewrote the song and... We kept the music the same, but I I just changed the lyrics and just slightly changed the meaning of what he was saying. It was more about... uh, I I, I, I guess I toned his his argument down slightly, but it was still a fight between a father and a daughter and him not really understanding. But I I, I shifted it enough to a point that that Jennifer was happy with it. Um, And it took a huge rejigging, you know. uh, But you have to. if, If you commit to... Really working with real people's stories, you you, yes. you take that to the nth degree. So you have to. You have to. Yeah, you of course, have you to do. take their views into yeah, absolutely into, into consideration right to the end. Thanks very much, Cora. Round of applause. <laughs> and finally, Ryan, what inspired you to to get on and make up? Um, Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, well, my connection, I. I uh, I used to live, I lived in Glasgow back in 2004, 2005, and I was involved in a documentary called, I edited a documentary called The Forgotten Glasgow Girl, which was about Saida Bukhaj. Um Saida, I'm, I'm guessing you've all seen 
the, the, the show's side, I was Elvis's little uh, sister. And Peter Mullen and Rubina Qureshi, uh, with, I think, money from the Scottish Socialist Party and various places, had gone back to, to Albania to see where uh, a family who, who had been deported were... Um, we're living. So I was involved in the campaign back then. I'd met Amal and, uh, and the girls. And then, and then 10, well, almost 10 years later, um, Colin Barr um, approached me with uh, an, an, an early draft of an idea to, to, to do a musical for television. And um, I think one of the things that drew me to the story at that particular time was it was a story about young people becoming politicised and um, at a time when, you know... The referendum was 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 was, uh, was looming, and um, and was about young people becoming empowered and finding a voice in a time where I feel that you know young people very often are portrayed as being kind of nihilistic and, and not mm. not thinking about things that are going on in the community or not finding a voice, and and um, so it felt like a kind of vital time to make it and to bring it to a wider audience, and it, you know we, you know the show was seen by. Um, over a million people, and I think a lot of young people really responded to it, and, and it inspired a lot of young people to get involved and to go out and vote, and um, and that was really exciting. But you know, interestingly, you know, in terms of the uh, this idea of blowing away the dust, I think um, what the what the Glasgow girls did, I think, was to. I mean, I'm going to speak very personally. You know, my, my grandparents. You know, whenever I sort of discuss asylum seekers or refugees with them, there's always a kind of perception of a kind of a fear, you know, and, and I think what a story like Glasgow Girls does is, 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 is place an audience that perhaps have never really thought about asylum seekers before in, in, in their shoes and, and, and feel the fear that the girls felt at the time and, and to, connect to, to connect with it on a very sort of human level. And I think, um, um, I think I was trying to find the relevance of the, the Glasgow Girls story to mental health, and I think that, that, that you, you can really see how that how narrative storytelling can can assist in that and putting an audience in, in, in someone else's shoes and see, seeing um, the way that they were suffering at the time. And um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Brian. And um, 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 in terms of uh, the response that the film got, because, you know, you're talking about it being seen by a million people, which even by the standards of a very popular um, stage show is a huge... Um, number of people. I mean, was was the reaction universally positive? Did you get any sort of negatives? Did, did... I, I mean, to, the the response to Twitter was was incredible. I mean, there was there was so many young people up and down the country mm. going, "Wow, this is like, I feel empowered. I feel yeah. like I can yeah. I can yeah. make a yeah. change." And yeah. um, there were the odd, you know. Ukipi uh, 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 negative yeah. responses, but but in the main it was an incredibly powerful, uh, positive and powerful response. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just <coughs> how are we doing for time? Not too bad. Just before we open up um, to the audience, I'd like to kind of throw a general question at the whole panel and see see um, see who would like to say something about it because a word that has often come to my mind when I've been thinking about the Glasgow Girls story um, um, I mean you think about empowerment and that's obviously really important that these girls in a a situation where they saw their friend being completely vulnerable and and obviously felt vulnerable in various different ways themselves um, nonetheless found a way to make them to, to become more powerful by banding together and appealing to people's, um, you know, um, sense of justice about 
what was happening. But another word that comes to my mind often is some sense that something about that process is healing. Like you described this moment of the, the actors and the, 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 the real people coming, coming together. And often when I'm, when I'm sort of experiencing the Glasgow Girls story, it seems, it seems to have some kind of healing effect. And I just wonder if, if any of you have kind of thought that over the years, being in, involved in it. Well, yeah, I mean, I mentioned my, my grandfather, and I didn't yeah. follow that through, but he, uh, you know, I, I really sort of saw, he, you know, he took me to one side and says, God, my perception's completely changed. And I, and, and I, and I, I think that, for me, was a sort of cathartic healing kind of mm. thing. And, um, so putting yeah. you on the spot now, Brian, of would course. you say mm-hmm. that his feelings of hostility towards asylum seekers were in a it's way ignorance. like a kind of no but they were like a kind of wound almost which which something about this story helped to heal for so sure it's, it's for like sure. there's, a, there's mm. a kind of woundedness mm-hmm, about mm. the political attitude some people have for sure yeah. for sure mm-hmm. yeah. um, and I think in particularly in uh, uh, I mean in terms of the particularly in Drumchapel which is you know mm. you know, in some cases folk are living in almost third world deprivation yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. like yeah. So seeing seeing, seeing uh, asylum seekers coming yeah. into the community um, it part you know, the media perhaps created a situation where um, they're going, well, I've, you know, I've not got a dishwasher, I've not got yeah. a microwave, yeah. etc. So people and are I, carrying a lot of people yeah, anyway. But, but, yeah. But, yeah. but I think people in the communities, and the mal you, you maybe back me up here, is that, that, that did, did change and they began to, but began to cooperate and to, uh, to, to see that everyone was just people and it was them that we should be fighting, you know, and that... Yeah. Um, yeah. Could I yeah. add of course, to that? Sorry. Please, of I think I think it's so important to to and I know Amal always talks about this a lot to recognise that although it's called the Glasgow Girls, that you know it's the teenage girls, the the older characters, the 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 women in the community and, and the teachers in the school who mm. term themselves Glasgow Girls as well. That that yeah. term is, is used yeah. to to, yeah. to be unisex and, and yeah. non ageist as well. <laughs> um I think for me that Noreen and Jean had had a really particular role in, in healing people right. as well because Certainly, the way the, the way we constructed the story and, and um, so they were the older women they, that, yeah. that backed the girls up exactly that, 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 that um, um, gave people refuge during That's the right. rage yeah. or, or 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 went to witness them and kind of stop them from happening absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. Yeah. and and kind of were militant in that I mean they put in, yeah. literally putting their their civil liberty on the line they could they <laughs> yeah. could have been jailed for what they were doing um, and yeah. I, I think when people saw that character of Noreen um, yeah. just this ordinary wee Glasgow wifey and how she cares for those people I think I think that's an incredibly powerful thing yeah. it, that was about she represented for me Glasgow she she was the city saying hold on we can be bigger than this mm. we we are bigger than this and and they continue to be a, an incredibly inspiring two women I just saw uh, Jean speaking at the weekend at the at the anti-racism demo you know just a, a powerhouse a, a fire and passion mm-hmm. and I think that was really key as well it's not yeah. you know they they brought it right home to people and I think mm-hmm. that was a, a very healing yeah. thing for people to watch. Yeah. Anybody else want to say anything just before? Yeah, I, I just want to back up what yeah. um, Brian Korov said. I always say now as well that the story is not about seven school teenagers anymore. It's much bigger than that. And I'll also say that anyone who supports it is a Glasgow girl. And I think a lot of people <laughs> like that now. And they're like, well, I'm not a, ma- I'm not a girl. Kind of thing. It doesn't matter. But you can um, still be a Glasgow exactly. girl. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And I think also you don't have to be from Glasgow. Um, and I say it's about it's about a community that came together to stand up for what's right. It's about humanity. It's about fairness. It's about justice. 
um, and it's about equality. And I think that's what made it so powerful is that people like Noreen and Jean, like Mr. Garvin, like you know our head teacher, Mr. Blakey, you know different people from different backgrounds and you know professions and. Um, it just came together and I think everybody that kind of backed us up as well and that's what kind of pushed us to, to come as far as we have. Yeah. I've got someone to say. Sorry, I remember uh, one f sort of instant, um, just a little anecdote. Uh, when, when the Glasgow Girls story, when I, as I was filming it, was kind of politically, certainly, there was a sort of acceleration going on as the weeks and months went on. I don't know if you remember a particular period back Ten, well, nine years ago now, there was a succession of uh, Labour government Home Office ministers that kept changing. There was Charles Clark, who was, I think he was the one that was not fit for purpose, and then there was, there was Tony McNulty, and there was Liam Byrne. Successive Home Office ministers um, kept being found to be not fit for purpose and kept being removed and, and renewed. And basically, the asylum seekers were in the news just week on week, week out, mm. uh, this uh, Jack McConnell had gone down and uh, done his best uh, to to try and uh, have Scottish asylum seekers allowed to stay here and uh, come back and not really, to the girls' satisfaction, mm, yeah. manage to, to deliver. But anyway, I digress again. It's so easy to do because there's so many levels to this story. Mm. The story was accelerating. It was big, big news. Um, it was being talked about in the Scottish Parliament almost daily. And uh, it, was the t it was the talk of the steamy, really. And, but, so at that stage, I was, doing, uh, I was supposed to be finishing my film and, and getting it ready to actually go out on air, but I kept having to go back and get some final comments from the girls and you know, filming Dawn Raids and, and all this. So basically, I was going back and forward to the Scotston high-rise flats frequently. It was almost daily for a good two or three weeks. <coughs> and uh, I had to get... Taxis, I had to get black taxis because I was going with this whole load of filming equipment, which, as you know, is no mean feat. You've got your camera, you've got your tripod, you've got your bag of lights, bag of batteries, and uh, filming on your... It's quite a physical task. So I had to get a taxi there. Anyway, I got this. I kept getting this one taxi. You always seemed to be going from Partick to Scotsland at mm -hmm. 5 o'clock in the morning. This one guy was always on. And he's all like, what, what's, a, what's, a nice, what's a nice young lassie like you doing going along to these high-rise flats every morning in the middle of the night? What's your game then? What's your game? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, when you're kind of just woken up and uh, you, you don't, I, th I thought, oh, I don't want to get into this whole subject, this whole conversation just at the moment. Um, but eventually I said, well, I'm actually going along to make, I'm making a wee film for BBC Children's Department. Um, oh, I. So what are you doing about the stabbings and the junkies? Is that what you're doing? And I says, no, it's not actually. I'm making a film about the asylum seekers. Oh, effing asylum seekers. Didn't he speak to me about asylum seekers? So basically this taxi driver had decided that they were out here to steal our jobs, mm. uh, get mobile phones and dishwashers, or dishwashers that he couldn't afford and all the rest of it. And he was clearly hated asylum seekers. And every morning when I used to get this tax, I thought, oh, God, it's him again. I'm going up to this conversation. And I'd get in with my bags, you know. And it got to the stage where he, 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 when he started off, he started helping me in with the bags. But once he discovered I was doing this film, asylum seekers, well, there was the gentlemanly chivalry kind of stopped there. So I had to hum for own bags into the, the taxis. Anyway, um, to cut off story short, um, a few weeks after the film had gone out, 
Uh, I, w- I went back to the Scotsland Flats. I wasn't going so early this morning. It was, it was, I can't remember. We were having a wee celebration or something along at the, the community centre. And it was this same taxi driver. I thought, oh, it was him. And he goes, oh, it's you. You're that lassie that made that film, aren't you? And I said, uh-huh. And he said, well, I'll tell you something, Hen. He says, um, that film made me think. And he says, and I'll tell you something else. See, since that film, they're asylum seekers. They're stars. They're celebrities in their own lunchtime. Mm-hmm. I've been ferrying them about from here, there, to everywhere. <laughs> and he says, and I tell you what, I've never picked up a drunk one yet. <laughs> <laughs> they've never been drunk. They've never been sick in the back of my taxi. <laughs> so well done, Hen. You did a good job there. <laughs> I thought, hmm. I, so. I suppose that's an example of healing. <laughs> Right, um, 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 thoughts and comments and any questions, if there are any questions from the, from the audience. Do we have microphones for the audience? Or yes. Do Is this people on? just stand up and shout? Yep. Oh, anyone want to say anything? Oh, yeah, we do have a microphone. Great. Um, right, who'd like to start? Someone there? Yep. Hello. Um, this is a question for for all of you really, but I'm just wondering, when you were doing the research and interviewing different people um, and so on, did you interview the, the police who did the morning raids or any of the home office? I'm just interested to see what, if there was anything from them and what, what they thought about it all. Yeah, it looked from the other side. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, does anybody else want to get a question in just before I come back to the panel? Because I'm sure we could talk about that for quite a long time. Can anyone see anyone? I can't see the audience all that clearly. Hi, I, I suppose for me there's there's a huge danger in dealing with any issues like this in terms of kind of social tourism and and just taking something and running with it. And I know Cora and Lindsay, you really spoke about becoming part of the community, which is huge. And I was wondering the connection the TV documentary then had with the musical and with Lindsay and with the community and how that was maintained mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Okay. Two really good questions. That's great. So, how about the first one? How about the how about the baddies, as it were, in the story? Um, did, 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 was there a chance to talk to them and, and get the voices from the other side? We tried to because I did. I did want to kind of get the all round view. We contacted um, immigration department, but they they wouldn't speak to us. We went down to David and I went down to um, Brand Street, where the uh, where the vans leave to to go and do the dawn raids, but also where asylum seekers go and have to report on a, a weekly basis, Amal, is that right? Um, and we we were doing a demo outside. There, there was a demo happening and, and we joined that demo that morning in the hope that we could maybe speak to some of the people driving the vans or, or to even some of the, the personnel inside the, the centre. And, and we stood there and it was about five in the morning and uh, one official came out and they just went, who are you? Where are you all from? And uh, David Gregg again, in his very David Gregg gracious way, said, um, um, we're from the, from the National Theatre of Scotland. We'd, um, we'd, we'd quite like to speak to, to someone involved in the immigration department inside. And, and the guy just looked at him like he was absolutely mental <laughs> and uh, went inside, came back out and just said, absolutely, no way, not on your nelly. So it, it, was, it was hard. And I know yeah. that you run that risk of being one-sided. Of course you do, but, but based on... I took a lot of my lead from, from Lindsay's documentary. I used that as my, as my resource, really. Yeah, um, any, any other thoughts on that and getting the voices of the, the other side? Well, when I, uh, when I came on the project, there was a kind of a... Uh, uh, Bible of research and included in that was the kind of uh, uh, protocol that, uh, that the police, but I never spoke to any um, Don Raiders uh, 
uh, face to face. Um, um, but for me, it was very much about the for, for me the Home Office and the way that we represented the Home Office and the, the Don Raisin film was very much a sort of artistic interpretation of the way that the the, the girls uh, the fear that they induced and that was that was um, it was. I wasn't making a documentary, and um, it was very much. About, yeah, it was um, a, it was a, it was a drama. It was a it was television a drama. drama exactly. As Lindsay's was a documentary. Yeah, quite different, yeah. Well, different processes. Just, just um, to come to that second question, then I'll, I'll come to you in a minute, Lindsay. But um, so, if, when you were when you were making what was um, like the stage play, but but different, mm. um, a sort of fictional version of the story, did you did you then? I suppose coming later into the. The story, um, that there was already a huge amount of information available, but did you? There was, but I mean, obviously, I've got, got a very personal connection. Got very personal connection to the story myself, yeah. and known yeah. yeah. and Jean and Matty Giles and worked with Rabina Qureshi um, a lot. But 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 more importantly, I mean, I think when I came on board, there was a sense that this could be a sort of BBC parachute job that they were yeah. flying in to make a film, and and I was it was really important to me that that wasn't wasn't going to be the case and all the way through the process we were very involved with people who were activists who were around uh, at the time and, and many of whom ended up in the film you know we've got this wonderful scene where there's kind of uh, 150 extras and, and it was all folk that were kind of there at the time and it was, mm-hmm. a, it was, a, it was a buzz you know having, having everyone around and the girls were very were, uh, involved every stage of the kind of writing process, all the way up to final draft. So uh, authenticity and um, and doing telling the right story was important, and it was also important that it didn't feel like we were trying to kind of sugarcoat the story. That was really key, and that was a big battle, really, with the BBC because I, I, I uh, it was important to me that at the end of the story that we didn't get a sense and everyone, you know, we could all be happy and we could all go home, you know, and so we had yeah. a lot of discussion about how, what, what the kind of final text in the story would say and, 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 yeah, and display the story is something that's, that's obviously an ongoing thing, you know, at the yeah. time that we were making the film up, but it was workplace raids were beginning to yeah. happen, you know, the yeah. dawn raiding had stopped, but, but, um, but entering yeah. um, People people's places of work and that, um, again, is an invasion of yeah. It's a little bit so. yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. Lindsay, um, I was just going to say there's one there's one specific scene in the the documentary which was the the, the morning of the dawn raid that we've previously mentioned, um, and it was it was again so many levels, but there was one policeman there who was standing at the door who was heck of a tall. Uh, which was difficult for me because I'm heck of a small and I'm, I haven't hold the camera like that while still trying to make sure it's in focus and everything. But he was actually, he was a really nice guy. And I say that because I think the police as a body have been very much maligned in this story like they're all baddies. And I think Amal would agree with me, there weren't all baddies. There were some really great community policemen out there who had spent years, months, building up good relationships between the kids that go to Drum Chapel, um, the families that live in Drum Chapel, the asylum seekers, done, done an awful lot of community cohesive, cohesion work there. And this renewed spate of dawn raids perpetrated by a Labour government uh, was something that was causing them an awful lot of internal angst. Not all, don't get me wrong, we all know that there are, there are bodies within the police who maybe, should I say allegedly, quite enjoy that little bit of power that they have sometimes. But 
but there were no means not all as a universal body were they like that and this particular policeman that was there in that scene you could quite see you could you could see that he was troubled and he could have told me he could have told me to go away and get out of his face and stop filming but he didn't he was very aware that i was filming and i got the impression that he kind of wanted me to film it he kind of wanted this story to get out there to get out, yeah. and um he did. Say, I did hear him say. Unfortunately, I didn't catch capture this on tape because uh, I wasn't very good at filming in those days, and the sound was a bit rubbish. <laughs> but I didn't catch this. But I heard him say, "Look, I feel really awful about this. I, I you know, I'd, I'd often think about this. If this this was my kids, what would I have done if I lived in a country I'd come here?" And that, you know. Um, I can't really remember what the original question was, but basically, <laughs> was, yes, sorry, you about asked the voice if, the, about the voice of the police. Yeah. So. Um, I, I, so, yes, so when I was editing the film, I was careful that I tried to keep in as much of his reasonableness mm -hmm. as I could to portray him at least as an individual mm -hmm. as accurately as I could. Yeah. I could have edited it so that he just looked like a big bad policeman, like some of them were. Yeah. Some of them appeared to be, but it was important to me that, that I must not malign this particular individual because yeah. he was clearly troubled. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all... Do you have any feelings about that, about the... the, the, the about the people who actually did this, you know, did, did you have experienced them as, as kind of not being all just an undifferentiated bunch of hogs, basically? <laughs> we have actually, one of them um, came to our school uh, to speak to us and everything, and uh, <laughs> it was quite funny actually because it was seven of us and only him. And um, yeah, let's just say we was this told a him what for. Or was it? No, it was a home office. From um, the home office? Yeah. Um, that's the good thing about being young and being able to say what you feel. And so, yeah, we just basically told him, you know, how much it was affecting people and, you know, what, how. And at that time, Agnesa was released. Um, so she was able to tell him about her experience at the detention center and everything like that. And until this day, whenever we come across Home Office officials, um, it's always like, you know, we don't comment on individual cases. And this is, you know, it, and especially because we're in Scotland, always say this is a Westminster matter. You know, we don't have, in Scotland, we don't have a say on immigration. So I think it's, it's really difficult to kind of speak to them. But I don't know if maybe you saw the Channel 4 footage um, of Yaldwood Detention Centre. Um, it was undercover. And yeah. some of the things was absolutely horrific. I mean, one of the um, workers, they were saying how they're all caged animals. And, you know, it was just horrible stuff they were saying. It's, you know, pregnant people uh, in detention centers like that. And it's just, it's so cruel on so many levels. But also, in the UK, um, I think we're the only country in Europe who have indefinite detention. So there's no time limit uh, to how long people can be locked up. Um, which is, which is, I think, is against human rights. Yeah, of course it is. Um, and um, that documentary about Yarls, which was just last month, I think you can still watch it on for Odia, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it really was shocking. I mean, it showed the kind of culture. But the thing is, if you're going to do, if you're going to inflict major injustices, you almost need a culture like that to support it. I mean, people can't do these things unless they say these things to each other about how they're all here to steal our jobs and our fridges or, you know, or, or, uh, or the kind of really shocking racist things that those guards who are obviously working on the front line of it were saying in that documentary about people being just animals and take a big stick, they would need to give them a good beating and all. I mean, absolutely horrifying, but I suppose that's, 
that's the kind of consequential, consequential damage of any system that is just um, really unjust. Is there any, any more um, burning comments? Well, here we go. Three minutes to go and you all get your hands up now. Um, here we go. Hi. Lindsay, you mentioned a little bit about how it was so much in the news at that time. And I mean, I, I had a definite sense of that um, working as a journalist. There was a real push to get stories. I, I wonder if you'd like to all of you say a little bit about how you keep those stories in the news. So once you've lost that shock of the new and um, you know, we've all heard what a dawn raid is, we've all heard... Um, some people's stories, and obviously the Glasgow girls' story has been an amazing example. How do you continue to make people care about an, an issue when they feel like they've already heard the story? Thanks very much. And there was another hand, yeah, gentleman on the end of the row back there, and then we'll come back to the panel. Thank you. Just thinking in relation to mental health and well-being, poverty, long-term unemployment, how do you think your collective work, your collective efforts, has helped to impact on the ambition of the wider community? Yeah, great. Two really great questions. So, yes, Glasgow Girls were a great big news story um, um, for a while, but how to keep these stories um, in the news so that they just don't become yesterday's flavour of the month? Well, and that, that, that final question about the, the which perhaps would be, be a good place to wind up, because we do have to wind up in the next five minutes, um, of, of what really has been the impact of all this. Um, else well, I was quite lucky, really, because I, I thought that the Glasgow Girls story was kind of not exactly dead and buried, but I kind of thought it was old news. And then, but I was lucky because I had a theatre director and a, <laughs> a drama producer who thought, no, let's revive it. Yeah. But um, you know, in, in general terms, it's very difficult to to keep things in the news. I mean, I think all of us that have woken up politically or become more politically aware over the last few years have been have become uh, acutely better educated in exactly how the media operates, how the media works, how the media agendas um, are so much a, a part of um, a wider corporate and governmental agenda. Uh, but I better not get too political because I know we're talking about mental health. But it's very, very difficult to keep these things on in, in the news. And unfortunately, I think with the case of asylum seekers, because asylum seekers is such a sort of dirty phrase in so much of the, particularly the right-wing media, um, these asylum seeker stories tend to keep cropping up again and again and again. Yeah, negative but, ones. But, but yeah. negative mm -hmm. ones, very seldom yeah. with the other side portrayed. Can I add, add to that, Liz? Yeah, yeah um, of course. I guess because, it, you know, the arts is, is the home that, that I'm working, we, we try and do it through those routes. But um, even just tonight, actually, well, three o'clock tomorrow morning, it's, uh, the BBC did uh, another documentary which involves all of us again, um, which is going on at a bizarre hour of 3 a.m. tomorrow morning, but it's on the learning zone, and it's to be a, a learning resource for schools. So it's kind of very much targeted at um, a, a kind of teenage audience, really. Um, we have been contacted by a lot of schools who were desperate to licence the play to put on in the school to use it as a kind of school um, production. And I was also uh, contacted by, I think it was um, a headmistress in Fife, who was really angry because a lot of um, kids had got, you know, had loved the show, had come to the show, were, were deeply passionate about it, and wrote about it in their higher drama exam as, as, a, as a play. That's the play they chose to write about. And they were disqualified because it was a musical. Oh! <gasps> 
Yeah. So you've got teenagers, you know, we're constantly trying to engage young people in issues and politics mm. and in theatre and, you know, narratives. And, and here they go, they, they instinctively are drawn towards something and they, and they get punished for it. And we, we need to follow that up. I, 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 I know it's kind oh. of in, in the higher hands above me, but uh, that's something I'm really angry about. Um, so I think it's maybe about using the channels we have to continue on an educational front with, with younger minds. You know, the media is one avenue, but, you know, as you say, a story mm. gets exhausted. So mm. it's about using it as an art form for that story I'd love to see it on the curriculum I think it's a really important piece of, piece of work because it deals with, with teenagers with human rights with politics with, with young girls empowerment mm-hmm. there's so many reasons why I'd love to see it continued in other educational yeah, yeah, forms yeah. and of know. course the more creative people take to do with it the more it is likely to have more mm. life yeah. um, and, and also a different kind of life from what you get from just mm. journalistic coverage um, Brian and then I'll give Amal the final mm. word uh, yeah I mean it's I guess the Glasgow Girls is, is uh, amazing tale because it has kind of gone from documentary yeah. to theatre to, to telly and now is being used as an educational resource and, and uh, in terms of keeping that um, the dialogue about the asylum community and, and their issues going, I'm not quite, I'm, it's, it's hard to know exactly what the answer is there, um, but... Uh, it's amazing that it's, it's kind of kept going and reinvented yeah. itself and, and how wide an audience now has, has seen it and engaged with it. And it's a really kind of positive thing. And there's a number of NGOs like Save the Children, UNICEF, mm. um, Amnesty International, the, the British Red Cross, Oxfam. I mean, we were, certainly in the two or three years after the documentary, we were constantly getting calls to go down, yeah. to go and visit them and go to schools and do workshops. So there, there's been, and, and make copies of the video and, and pass it around schools, there's been a sort of rumbling undercurrent yes. of more and more people yes. out with the big media yeah. sort yeah. of uh, yeah. framework. This is it. It's like there's this huge hunger <coughs> for a kind of positive story like mm. this, mm-hmm. which really the, the mainstream media are not providing because their agenda tends to be much more um, negative. And I think I don't think anything is going to change that. It's, no. you know, fear and horror mm. sells newspapers, or, and newspapers, of course, are in a, a dire condition in terms of sales. So um, their desperation is, 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 is getting greater rather than less in terms of, um, in terms of sort of sensationalising um, issues like this. But I'm all lots of different sort of topics there, but, but <laughs> yeah, anything absolutely. you'd like to say? Um, yeah, just what Cora mentioned, there's a BBC Learning Zone, which I haven't seen yet. I'm quite nervous about. Um, <laughs> and basically, we went back to the school and um, Emma Bond, who was a producer, and she kind of filmed us and uh, kind of talking about how our story's been told in kind of through the documentaries, then the musical, then the drama, and also how to try and encourage young people to get involved and to see that actually, look what we managed to achieve. Anybody could do that as well, especially young people, because, you know, there's that stereotype that actually <laughs> young people are not involved in politics, you know, they don't know how to make a difference, all these kind of things. Um, so it was really important, and that's what's really important for me at the moment is young people. I'm trying to do, you know, trying to spend all my spare time, which I don't really have, um, <laughs> to go to schools. And I've been invited um, to various schools and actually helped uh, St. Unions. And I want to highlight that because they're an amazing primary school in Clyde Bank. And the teacher, she's absolutely amazing and such an inspiration. 
she had asked me and Rosa to go and speak to her, um, to Canada Primary 7s, and um, they, they are using us as an inspiration now, and they've got their own campaign, um, and basically it's to fight for education for every child in the world, and they've got, like, they've made speeches, and they did a petition, and they're going to gonna have a small protest soon, and they've been nominated for an award as well, which is fantastic. Um, so it's things like that that we want to encourage, and I've also been told that most of the supporters that we have are modern studies teachers, <laughs> and they've been showing the documentary, and they've been showing the film, and they've seen the musical as well, and I've been told that they, they kind of they put it on repeat sometimes, which I'm sure is not <laughs> it's not in the curriculum. So there are teachers out there that are showing our our story and um, you know, showing young people that actually anybody can make a difference and it is possible. If people come together and they're passionate and determined about something, um, they can make it better for themselves and others. They can. And, I'm surprised and there's not been a feature the, film idea. For <laughs> and, and, and in the work that you're doing now with, with, with mental health issues affecting women at asylum seekers, do stories like this make a difference or do people get to a point, a one, like in Jenny's... Jenny's um, Jenny's poem, where, um, where nothing like this can make a difference? Do people sort of get beyond it? Or do you find that, 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 that there's a kind of backbeat of, 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 of something, some kind of empowerment or optimism there that does help people, even when they've, they've reached quite a bad place? Absolutely, um, totally. With the women I work with, it's really, like you said, empowering because you know, just knowing that they're not alone and yeah. there's other people who understand what they're going through and there's people who support them. Um, it can be very frustrating because you know, we can be very helpless. Um, as I said earlier, we don't have control over immigration. We don't have control over the asylum system. If we did, I think it would be a humane and fair and just system. But unfortunately, that's not the case at the moment. And I think for them to see us, um, you know, showing the story and you know, getting the story out there, like Brian earlier said, the, the drama managed to reach over a million people all over the UK. It's absolutely amazing, and it has changed people's minds. And even change, even that difference can be enough sometimes because, you know, for an asylum seeker to to kind of to come across negative. Um, you know, attitudes and everything, that has a huge impact on mental health. And for somebody, if, if that same person's mind has been changed because of this, obviously you can see the positive uh, difference instantly. And, you know, to have that compassion and, and understanding, it definitely it has an impact on mental health. Great. Thank you very much. Um, we're, we're, yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, do have to wind up now and, and move on to the next sessions, but I think you can see from, from this discussion um, what a fascinating story it is, because it is right there on the cusp between what happens in our big, wider society and how our institutions um, express the values that are our, our, our closest and deepest to our kind of feeling of being human, you know, this feeling that something had happened there which just offended people's deepest idea of what it is to be a human being. And so it, it's a fascinating story in the way that it, it reminds us that even the very big sort of, you know, macro-political things about our societies in some ways affect, reflect, have something to do um, with our deepest well-being. Um, so it's, it's fascinating from that point of view. It's fascinating from the point of view of 
the image of the world that we live in, because how are we affected by the constant negative images that we see of the world that we live in, and how does that change when suddenly someone creatively, you know, Lindsay, Brian, Cora, comes along and really, and the girls themselves who did it in the first place, really create a more positive image of the world we live in and stick by that positive set of values, even when, you know, you're in a situation where they're, they're quite besieged, not popular with the government and often misrepresented in the media. So that idea of making a good image, we often talk about that as if it's a negative, as if it's a kind of lie. But at the same time, if the, if, if the good image that you're making reflects a truth that's being underrepresented, then perhaps that's something really valuable to do. And certainly a lot of the young people who have seen Glasgow Girls, I think, I mean, I did hear one, one young person saying as they came out of the show, that's the Glasgow I want to live in. You know, as if it wasn't quite there, but it was... It was, it was like a vision of a Glasgow that they could work towards. And, it, you know, is that a lie? Is it a pipe dream? Or is it absolutely vital um, in unleashing people's ability to create something better? And finally, it just goes to all our accounts of mental illness, the broken finger, you know, um, that, that, that needs to be treated and healed, but at the same time something that is in such a complex way linked to all these systems um, and, and, and movements in our um, society. So I think it's just given us a glimpse of the huge um, complexity of that right at the start of the day. So please thank our wonderful panel and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you.